This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hello, everybody. This is Ron. And actually, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know whether to say aloha because Monica and I just got back from Hawaii or whether to say Merry Christmas because it is the Christmas season or to say Happy Sunday morning because... It is Sunday morning uh, if you're watching this in the live stream, uh, but I guess I could say all the above. So it is so good to be back. It's so good to be with you. And I am super excited about this current teaching series that we are in. And I believe we have a special message for a group of people that are very near and dear to my heart uh, this morning. I just wanted to open by saying you know, you probably have picked up on it already that joy is actually the original desire and goal of Christmas. Not, not, not just survival and not just endurance, but in the middle of this pandemic, it is entirely possible for us to have joy. And that's what I hope we have today. We're in the dog days of this pandemic. And for most of us, well, this is not going to be the Christ Christmas we imagined at the beginning of this year. Our lives have have been interrupted, um, and some of us might think in, in a sort of very rude and intrusive way, and to some degree that's true of all of us. But you know, when I think about the Christmas story, it's actually a story about people's lives who were interrupted. Mary's life was interrupted by the announcement from the angel. Joseph's life was interrupted. He was about ready to get married and start a family in a traditional way. And, and, and yet his life was interrupted as he ended up marrying a lady who was already pregnant. Um, boy, that's a huge interruption. The innkeeper, his life was interrupted. Mary's parents, they, they were about ready to marry off their daughter in an arranged marriage. And you know what? From the time the angel announced to Mary what was coming down, we never read of Mary's parents again. Joseph's parents, the same thing. Their lives were interrupted. Their friends asked them, what, what is this about your son? Or Mary's parents, what is this about your daughter? Uh, you don't actually believe that, do you? The Magi, their lives were interrupted by a star. The shepherds, their, life, their lives were interrupted by by an angel and King Herod. His life was interrupted by the birth of a king in his kingdom. You know what? The story of Christmas is the story of lives that are interrupted. And the title of our series is Not My Christmas. And I have a feeling that a lot of us feel that way today. That even though we're going to try to make the best of it, this is not the Christmas we planned. And certainly every single person in the Christmas story, even though they didn't know to call it Christmas yet, I think each one of them would have said, uh, this is not the Christmas I planned. And out of that, we can learn lessons on how to respond when it doesn't go our way. When our life gets interrupted and somebody throws us a curveball and we have to adjust. And so... Uh, I'm super excited about this series <clears throat> today. Our teaching is going to be about King Herod. And uh, there's a message in here uh, with hope and help for all of us with control issues. And can I just say, 
I think most of us at some level struggle with some form of control issue. So there's hope and help in here for all of us. And I just want to start out by saying some of my dearest and most deeply loved friends actually struggle with control issues. These are people I love. These are people I love to hang out with. These are people that I value tremendously. And yet I know and they know that they struggle with control issues. And, you know, on the positive side, uh, these people are some of the highest achievers that I know. They are some of the most helpful people I know, some of the most unselfish people I know. They do work with very high quality. In fact, they probably struggle a little bit with perfectionism. They are tenacious and they are highly responsible and they just don't give up easily. And when you think about that, if some of my closest friends are like this and they have all those wonderful tendencies, um, kind of reminds me of the old statement, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why would we want to fix or give hope and help to people like this who are such good people to begin with? And the answers are these. Because people with control issues, my observation is, they actually never feel fully safe. They're never able to fully relax because something might slip out of control. They struggle with trust. It's just easier for them to do it themselves than to trust someone else to do it. And because of that, they struggle with intimacy because they struggle to be fully open to anyone else. They struggle with partnership. They just wanna do it themselves. That way it'll be done right. And because of that, they live in a context of high stress all the time. Now, friends, that's a really high price to pay just to be a high achiever and responsible. So I want to stop right now and pray a prayer for all of us who have control issues. And I would include myself in that. God, we just pause at the beginning of this teaching. Would you open our hearts? to receive a teaching about control, about control issues. God, would you help us to do all these wonderful things, to be high achievers, uh, to do work with high quality, to be unselfish, to serve other people, to do, to do all these things, but from a different platform, one that would be so much more helpful to us and one that it would allow us to trust and to relax and to be intimate with other people and to be fully open. God, would you do that today as we take a look at the life of King Herod? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Herod is an interesting character because it's very easy to see his control issues. And part of the reason it's easy to see control issues in him and, and maybe a little harder to see it in ourselves is because in Herod, they seem to be in exaggerated forms. So we're just going to read through Herod's story. And, and this is five or six uh, screens of material. So this is the story as told by a guy by the name of Matthew, who was a thief and a swindler. Uh, and a very dishonest guy who became a follower of Jesus 
and had his life transformed. And this is how Matthew captures the story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, and that was in the Judah territory. So just to lay that out, the nation of Israel is a very small country. It's actually smaller than the county of Sonoma. And it had three separate districts, and in the north was Galilee, in the middle was Samaria, and the lower, uh, the southern region was Judah. So Bethlehem was down there in the Judah region. Well, there was a band of scholars, in many translations, they're called Magi. They were dignitaries from the east. They arrived in Jerusalem from the east. Now listen, it was very unusual for anyone from the east to arrive in Jerusalem because to the north of Israel, there was all sorts of countries that were well populated. To the south of Israel, there was Egypt. To the west of Israel, there was all the Mediterranean countries. But to the east of Israel, there was nothing but a barren desert. So in order to come from the east, you had to cross a vast desert. And, and yet these guys showed up in town. They were vet dressed very differently. They were the elite from where they came from, and so uh, they couldn't hide. And they ask around, now where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signified his birth. And we're on a pilgrimage to worship him. And when word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Can we just pull over to the side of the road here and say, when we have control issues, if we're upset, it tends to upset everybody in our world. We tend to pass along that stress and pressure. It's why sometimes, even though we don't want to, we yell at our children. It's why sometimes we get really intense and angry. And, and yeah, sometimes in some households, if dad isn't happy, no one in the house is. If mom isn't happy, no one in the house is. If a certain child isn't happy, no one in the house is. Those are sure signs of control issues. So all Jerusalem was upset. And Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religious scholars in the city together. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem in Judah territory. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east. Pretending to be as devout as they were, he got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem. See, Herod was raised as a Jew. He knew all about the Messiah. And, and he told them that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And then he said, now go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. And as soon as you find him, send word and I'll join with you at once in your worship. Now, we know the story, and we know that Herod was not shooting it straight. This is straight-up manipulation. And can I say that if we have control issues in our life, it can sometimes drive us to be manipulative, even when we don't want to be. 
It's one of the reasons why we want to learn to lessen the control issues in our life. Reading on in the story, instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies, and it led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. It was all wonderful stuff in a dream. Now imagine Joseph and Mary. These guys are obviously dignitaries from a foreign country, and they are bringing three very precious commodities, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, to a carpenter couple that's sleeping in a stable. Boy, the juxtaposition of that is amazing. So, what happens next? In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route. They left the territory without being seen, and they returned to their own country. This is where the story takes a nasty twist. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. Oh, my goodness. When we have control issues, we can fly into a rage. And listen, friend, if you're beating yourself up because you've done this and you've flown into a rage and you've said things to your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or a co-worker that you wish you could take back, instead of beating yourself up about that, Let's go to work on that. And the answer is, do less raging. The answer is actually something quite different from that, that actually takes away our desire to rage. So, he, Herod commanded the murder of every little boy two years old and under, who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. And he determined that age from the information he had gotten from the scholars. Wow. You know, this is Herod's one cameo appearance in Scripture. And I'm so sorry because <laughs> it's not a very good one. It's actually a very nasty one. And I just want to say up front, it's really easy for us to villainize Herod and to make him out as a monster and an evil person and write him off and say that no good guy. You know, he killed a bunch of babies and that no good guy. Jesus was born in his kingdom and he rejected him. And when it didn't go his way, he got mad and flew into a rage. And it's really easy for us to what I call dehumanize him. It's much easier to think of Herod as a monster or a villain than an actual human being. But you know, there was more to Herod than just this story. If you're looking for reasons to villainize Herod, you don't have to look far because history reveals that Herod executed one of his wives, three of his own sons, two of his brothers-in-law, one of his mothers-in-law. He actually had 10 of them. 
one of his wife's grandfathers and these countless infant boys in and around Bethlehem, and those are the only the people we know of that he executed or murdered. So if you're looking for a reason to vilify him, there's plenty there. But you have to realize that Herod was born into a world. He was born into aristocracy. He was born into a royal family. And if you study royal families of, these, uh, of the Near East in these times, there was one rule, and that is kill or be killed. Because those people that he had executed, uh, other than the baby boys, all at one time, tried to have Herod killed. It was kill or be killed. But you know what? If you're looking for reasons not to vilify Herod, there's plenty of those too. Did you know that this king, who had been raised as a Jew, looked at the Jews' temple in Jerusalem and said, you know what? We can do better than that. He tore down that temple, he expanded the temple grounds, and he built a brand new, much more illustrious and glorious temple for the Jewish people. He enhanced and secured Jerusalem's water supply so that if they ever got attacked, the people in the city would be safe. Did you know that during a very severe famine, he imported grain from Egypt and he started an aid program to distribute the grain among the marginalized people of his country so they wouldn't starve to death. He wasn't just a villain and a monster. I think he might have been a person a lot like you and me, just caught in some really tough circumstances. You know, it's so easy for us to dehumanize him. I wanted us to look at a picture of him just for a minute. This, this is Herod the Great. He wasn't a monster. He was a person just like you and me. He was very human. Caught in some tough circumstances. Did he respond correctly? No. Did he hurt a lot of people along the way? Yes. Was he a power-hungry monster who hated people? No. Not any more than you and I are. Now listen, there's a super important message here for all of us. Take a look at it. When we villainize those who do wrong and we pedestal our heroes, we end up dehumanizing both. Friends, I've seen that happen over and over again. When someone struggles and does wrong, it's easy for us to just write them off. And we think, I have nothing to learn from them because I would never do what they have done. Uh, they're so different or other from me. Um, and in the process, we don't learn anything from them because we think, I could never order the killing of babies. So I have nothing to learn from Herod. But you know, the same thing is true when we pedestal our heroes. When we put them on, up on a pedestal and we regard them as if they're something other than human, we dehumanize them. And we somehow think that the rules that apply to us, somehow they have escaped the clutches of those rules. 
And somehow if we were in their place, we could be as good as they are. You see, when we rob these people of their humanity, we don't end up giving either group the grace that they need as human beings to thrive. And in the end, we don't actually learn from them. So let's make Herod a human and let's find out what can we learn from him and how can we how can we give some hope and help to those of us who struggle with control issues? Well, the first thing I would like to say that is this. In most cases, I've observed the issue isn't a power issue. It's actually a safety issue. Most of the people I know that have control issues are not on an ego trip. They're not on a power trip. In fact, most of the people that I know of who have control issues actually struggle with identity issues. Usually, there's a significant hurt or multiple hurts in their lives that have damaged their ability to feel safe and therefore to be able to trust people. So the only thing they know how to do is to control because they might not be able to trust anybody else, but they can trust themselves. Listen, here's a rule in life. When we can't trust, we control. So the answer is not less control. The answer is learning how to develop trust, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I want to give us two passages of Scripture and then five ways we can lessen our control issues in life. And I hope these are so practical <clears throat> that you can put them into use this week. So here's the first scripture. It's written by Solomon, who was a king and a wisdom writer. And I want you to notice how many trust terms are in this passage. Solomon says, place your trust in the eternal. Rely. That's a, that's a trust word. On him completely. Never depend. That's another, don't do that. that. That's trusting yourself. On your own ideas and inventions. Allow him to direct everything you accomplish. And he will smooth out and straighten the road that lies ahead. If you depend on him, that's trusting, your body and mind will be free from the strain of a sinful life. That, that yelling or screaming or raging or manipulating, those things that all tend to come out of control issues. Your body and mind will be free from that strain of that sinful life. Your body and your mind will experience healing and health. And they will be strengthened at their core. You know, this is Solomon writing about the dance of control, and he's actually saying, who's in charge? Is it God or me? Is it my ideas or his? And actually, he's giving us a wonderful litmus test. Is your life stressful or is it peaceful? If it's stressful and you're always worrying about things and how to control things and how to manage certain outcomes and how to take responsibility for 
for what people think of you or your husband or your wife or your kids. Well, that's a sign that you might have a deeper issue with control than you realize. Solomon says the answer is trust. David, who was Solomon's father, was also a wisdom writer, and he said almost the same thing. He said, commit your path to the eternal. Let him direct you. Put your confidence in him, and he will follow through with you. And here's something that all of us with control issues struggle with. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Can I just say that over the years, I have learned that God usually acts on a different timetable than I naturally would. And usually, he's, it's not a faster timetable. Usually it's a slower one. And it's very easy for me when things seem to be getting out of control to feel like I need to step in and take control. So now let's take a look at five ways we can lessen our control issues. Number one, practice relaxing. You know, when we're tense, we don't feel safe. And when we don't feel safe, we find it hard to trust and we find it even harder to release control. And a way to get a good jump on that is to practice relaxing, maybe multiple times a day. <clears throat> if you signed up for the beginning new meditations, they are awesome. They are such a good way to start your day. And almost every one of them has a way in it right at the beginning to relax. I want to highly recommend that. And if you're not signed up for those, um, you can uh, send an email to Ron at newlifepetaluma.com and I will make sure you get signed up. And by the way, if you are signed up and you're making progress or something in this teaching triggers you, well, you can always go back and do those again and repeat them over the following 30 days. It's important to practice relaxing. Number two, practice trusting God. Now listen, don't start out with big things. Start out with little things. You see, the truth is real safety isn't found in you managing circumstances to outcomes that you think are good. Real safety is found in God's control and God's direction. So choose a small daily trust project with God and do it every day. When you get up in the morning, what's my trust project for God today? Maybe it's how you drive to work. I'm not going to yell and scream. I'm not going to use the horn. I'm not going to wave inappropriately. I'm not going to. I'm going to relax. And I'm going to trust God. And when things don't go at work or at home, you know, the way that I really want them to, instead of getting all tensed up and my britches in a bunch, I'm, I'm going to make this a trust project with God today. 
and I'm going to relax and I'm going to consult God and I'm going to start with a prayer. God, how would you like for me to handle this? Instead of just jumping in. Number three is this. Practice healthy boundaries. Listen, friends, those of us with control issues, golly, I love every one of us, but I can tell you everybody I know with control issues is in people's business they shouldn't be in. They're trying to control their wife or their husband. They're trying to control their kids. They're trying to control their neighbors. They're trying to control their coworkers. Listen, life is a lot easier, and it's a lot easier to relax when we're taking care of only our stuff. So regularly ask this question, is this really mine? And if it's not, let go of it. Practice letting go and setting those boundaries. Number four, practice trusting others. You know, most of the people I know of who have control issues, including myself sometimes, we delegate things and then we micromanage those that we delegate them to. If it's our kids, we delegate responsibility to them. And then instead of just checking to see if they follow up, we hover over them. We micromanage. We want them to do it exactly like we would do it. Uh, we manage every step of the process. We do the same thing with coworkers. It's why we find ourselves often saying, ah, it's just simpler to do it myself. It's so important for us to practice trusting others. Listen, even when they fail, did you know letting others fail is a part of their growing process? And it's also part of our growing process. And until we learn to be comfortable with an appropriate amount of failure, we will be imprisoned in our own cell of control. Number five is this. Practice Getmo. Now, I learned this straight from the Global Leadership Summit. And by the way, if you've never taken in the summit, it is awesome. You should take it in. Um, it's usually in August. Hopefully by this August, we'll be able to meet in person. Uh, the summit brings together the finest leaders in the world. And one of them, his name is Craig Groeschel, taught this principle in 2019. You know what GETMO is? It stands for good enough to move on. Virtually every control issue person I know is also a perfectionist. I'm a self-confessed one. I have been working on letting go of my perfectionism now for two years, and I'm happy to report I am making progress. And life is better. Because you know the truth is, our personal world is better when it's less than perfect because it means it's in tune with our own humanity. So I want to say about all five of those, I just scratched the surface on each one and uh, it could be a whole teaching series, uh, but I wanted to plant seeds of thought for all of us. 
I want to close with a passage of scripture that says, Speaking of life interrupted, I was having such a great time teaching you from my front yard and really enjoying that context. And then the neighbor's landscaper came, fired up his weed whacker about 20 feet from me right across the fence. And well, let's just say that's the end of that recording session. So I moved all my stuff inside and we'll finish it from uh, right here in, in my office in my home. So I have one last scripture I'd like to read to us and a thought that goes with it. And the scripture comes from the pen of uh, a guy by the name of Paul, who was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. He was a very driven guy, um, very loving, very kind, but also very driven. And I can't imagine him not struggling with control issues of his own. And toward the end of his life, after years of walking with Jesus and years of personal experience in life, this is how he writes to his friends and uh, to us by extension. He says this, Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So if I were to take this whole teaching and put it into one sentence, it would be this. Before we run to a situation we think might need our control, Let's run to the Father first and process it with him. Because as we run to the Father, then we have the opportunity to relax and realize that if this is our responsibility, he'll let us know that and what to do about it. We'll have the context to trust God and truly to feel safe and to recognize that our safety is about God's control not ours. We'll have the opportunity to actually ask him, is this really mine? Or am I having a tendency to step in and rescue someone or control the outcome of something that actually should be theirs? We'll have the opportunity then to actually trust other people, even when they fail, and we'll be okay because we'll recognize that, that that failure is part of their learning process, and it's actually part of our letting go process. And last of all, we get to practice GETMO. We won't be stuck in this cycle of perfectionism, but we'll recognize when something is good enough to move on, and we'll actually move on and, and, and not just be okay with that. We'll find a freedom in that. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.